Hey guys, I'm here today with Rick Cesari. He's the genius behind brands such as Gorge Foreman Grills, OxyClean, GoPro, and many other brands which they took to household names. He's also an avid mountain climber, a family man, and has a very interesting education background, which I'll let, you, I'll let him explain to you in just a moment. So Rick, my man, how are you? I'm doing great, and I want to thank you for having me on your show. Most welcome, my friend. Super excited to have you here. Look, the reason why I actually got you here is I read a book by one of your mentors, one of the people that you were working with, and one of the books that you, your previous book. So that was really exciting. And then I had read it, I was like, I have to speak to this guy. He is a genius the way you break things down. So super excited to hear that you have released a new book and the new process behind it. Yeah, so you were you mentioned to me uh, the book that you read was called By Now, and that was written in 2011 and talked a lot about um, my background in direct marketing and direct response marketing. Um, you know, it's interesting because if I just give your listeners a short uh, background of, uh, for me, um, I actually got a degree in biology from college. I never really studied marketing, um, but I when I got out of college, I was looking for ways to make money, like a lot of people when you're younger and you're in your 20s. And I started reading a lot of books, and I was reading uh, two types of books, uh, you know, motivational books, and then also uh, books on how people made money. And at the time, and still today, a lot of people made money in real estate. So I got my real estate license, and I started um, what they call flipping houses today, but back then we were called buying distressed property. And I teamed up with a guy, a young guy who was putting on seminars in the U.S. and helped him market his seminars. And that's really how I learned uh, a lot about marketing and how to get people to respond, both from the advertising we did to get people to the seminars, but then also getting up in front of the people at the lectures and trying to convert them into uh, from a free lecture into a $500 course. And it was kind of... Uh, uh, you know, trial by fire, learning from from actually doing it. And then, um, you know, a lot of the techniques that I learned about how to put on live seminars back then, I thought, well, this might work. Um, I was always interested in health and nutrition, and I talk a, lo a lot about this in the book you read by now. And I started putting on uh, health and nutrition seminars, but the goal was really to sell uh, a juice extractor called the Juice Man. And we... Um, really did that through educating people about the benefits of drinking fresh juice. And when they got that education, the next natural step for them to take was to purchase a juicer. And we were really fortunate that it was a company that my brother and I started, and I'm gonna date myself now, in 1989, but in four years, we grew it to $75 million, and we sold it to uh, a company in Chicago called Salton Housewares. And um, Salton liked the type of marketing that I was doing, and they gave me two products uh, to market. One was a homemade bagel maker that didn't work, but the other one was the George Foreman Grill, which went on to become one of the largest selling products ever, and I did all of the marketing for that. And then just real quickly after that, it was Sonicare, OxyClean, uh, Rug Doctor, lot, lots of uh, things, Momentous Swing Trainer, which is a golf product, Clarisonic Skin Brush, uh, and then more recently, the the GoPro camera, which was a pr real interesting story in itself. Do you ever pinch yourself and just go, how surreal is this? What's that? Do you ever just pinch yourself and go, this is surreal, all the stuff that we've created 
from oh yeah um i i do all the time and i really feel very very fortunate um to have had the opportunity to work with both great products and great companies and uh you know i've always um it's been real interesting to see the different not only the products that the companies have but as companies grow quickly some succeed and some fail just based on the the management style and the people that are running them so it's been a real um to to answer your question feel very fortunate but it's also been a great learning experience that's amazing from a numbers point of view how do you actually structure your deals because i know with the first one you obviously exited and were able to sell it to sultan but in the future, when you started the agency, how do you actually see the full value of the work you were doing? Because I know you started with companies when they were still small and probably weren't able to pay you the full value of what you were able to deliver for them. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And um, you know, when you're you learn as you go along. Um, and I probably undersold myself just because I enjoyed what I was doing so much. Um, I probably should have taken bigger chunks of equity than I did in some of the businesses. But a lot of times when we structured those deals from an agency standpoint, and I didn't set out to start an agency, you know, it, it's, it's like I was probably guilty of not planning out my career very well because I, I went from studying biology to marketing and, and then started the juicer business. Um, which was a juice man, juicer, and bread man, bread machine. But anyway, um, as far as structuring deals, uh, you know, what happened was after I sold the juice man business, which was a nice exit, made good money, I, I didn't have to work and I took a year off. But then I had a local Seattle company, which was Optiva. They were the makers of the Sonicare toothbrush. They reached out and called me and said, hey, we'd love to have you help us market our product. We're having trouble gaining traction in the marketplace. And so I structured a deal um, that was the start of the agency, really. It was it kind of happened by accident. And the way I structured the deal was I actually put up some of the money for their marketing and I got some stock in return. But also then I had a royalty on sales, which was really nice. And so that's one of the primary ways that I then structured deals moving forward was that um, they would pay me for my services uh, to help them produce advertising, produce television shows and commercials, but then I would always take some type of royalty on the sales and sometimes those could turn into pretty big numbers. That's amazing. That's, yeah, I see that, I like that. Yep. Okay. Now the newest book, what is it all about? So. I mentioned earlier the first book uh, by now was written in 2011 and obviously since that book came out from 2011 till today um, I've been involved in lots more businesses lots lots more companies helping them from a marketing perspective uh, I mentioned the GoPro that's probably one of the biggest successes but the new book is called building billion dollar brands and and four of the projects that I've worked on um, and actually, this was starting from scratch. I want your listeners, I know you probably have a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, people that are have smaller businesses, and I'm sure some larger too, but almost every one of these products I started working on, um, they were startups or very small businesses doing less than a million dollars in sales, and we were able to come in and help them do the marketing. But anyway, the new book, Building Billion Dollar Brands, uh, talks about all the different things um, 
the similarities that we learned in building companies like Sonicare, uh, OxyClean, George Foreman, and the GoPro, uh, lo really looking at them as case studies and say, what did these companies do to go from zero to a billion dollars? And what are the things that were that they did the same so that other people could could look at those ideas and and take those and so i kind of boiled it down to uh something we focus on in the book called the five keys to building a great brand okay that's interesting five keys to building a great brand and i guess that's partly a protection as well so if you are building a brand building business you don't want to lose market share once other people come into the market you mean as far as competition and, competition. and things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's really interesting. Um, every time I work with a company, I, I think you have to be concerned a little bit about competition, but I kind of get blinders on when I start working with a business and just kind of push the fast forward button and really aren't that concerned about the, the competition. And I, I, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book is to kind of help other people um, and share some of the knowledge and some of the marketing expertise. And the other thing is, it's it's like, um, you know, I could talk to you all day about, you, you know, and you're probably more, at, even more at the forefront of this than I am, about some of the, the ways marketing has changed and, and what worked two years ago isn't working today. And um, But I think one of the keys that I talk about in, in the book as well is that everything should be done with a direct response mindset and all that means is one of the secrets to all the growth from all these businesses, regardless of the platform that we use, was that if you spend a dollar on advertising, you're always trying to get two or three dollars in return. And if you can create a model that does that, whether that's on TV, on Facebook and Instagram, whatever, then you, you've unlocked the key to fast growth for the businesses. And so we got, spend a lot of time talking about how you can, you can create that. Yeah, platform agnostic. It doesn't matter what, where you're marketing, as long as it's bringing the return and reaching the right customers. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's trying to the customer acquisition and um, building the brand awareness. Um, you know, the the thing I mentioned earlier, the five keys to building a great brand. Do you want to go through the five of the, of those Let's things? Do I, Let's do it. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, and some some of it, it's like it's it's really interesting because. Um, some most of it is going to be things like your people are going to be listening to this and they're going to say, well, I know that. But it's you know one of the things that I that I that all of these products we were talking about had in common, they all did these things. And then when I work and working with com companies now, like I'm working with some companies that are doing really well on Amazon and they want to expand. And so I come in and say, hey, you need to start doing these five things. And they do. And then their business starts to take off and they start to build a brand. But the very first thing on the list is, is um, uh, you know, unique selling proposition or the USP. And that's something where, um, you know, if you're offering a product or service, what is it that makes your product different than everybody else and that's the thing that you have to figure out and if you figure that out then that becomes the hook that what you can advertise and um, let me give you an example when we were, were first started marketing the juicer the other juicers out there were marketed as appliances 
where we marketed, we didn't market the juicer, we marketed the benefits of drinking the juice. That if you drank fresh juice, you would have more energy, you could uh, help your immune system, um, you could live longer, lower cholesterol. So the unique selling proposition of the juicer was that it, it basically created uh, something that would give you all these health benefits. With the Sonicare toothbrush, um, the really the, the toothbrush uh, was having a hard time getting traction in the marketplace because it was a $150 toothbrush when you could go down to the drugstore and buy a toothbrush for $2. But the Sonic technology um, basically was what was unique about it but it was really the ability of the brush to clean beyond the bristles. And so we had to educate people about gum disease and then the Sonicare toothbrush was the solution once they understood what gum disease was caused by bacteria that hide in the nooks and crannies of your teeth. The unique selling proposition, this, has, this brush has the ability to clean beyond the bristles, no other toothbrush could do it. Sales took off and they grew, they grew very quickly. So really um, looking at what what your unique selling proposition is on, on a product is really the first step. Um, the second step in which uh, a lot of these custo- uh, products and businesses do is positioning. And I always recommend a really good book. You might have heard of it. It's called The Blue Ocean Strategy. And it's, it's really, you know, for your listeners, um, if they want to read the book, great. But the basic message is when you're looking at the marketplace, don't look at for a crowded place in the marketplace. Look for the blue ocean, the place where you can go out and you can create a niche where you can be successful. And a really great example of that was the GoPro camera. And if you think about it, here was a guy who invented a camera. He was a surfer and he invented a camera that he was basically got made in his garage and and eventually in China and he was up against Sony, Kodak, Polaroid, all the giant camera companies but the niche that he positioned his camera in was for extreme athletes and no other no other camera was really in that space and so what he did was make these attachments where you could put it on a helmet, put it on a surfboard, put it on your wrist and you could turn the camera back to take pictures of yourself but basically from a positioning standpoint he he's took that niche of having an action camera for extreme athletes and that was his base and there was no other camera in that category and that enabled them to have really tremendous growth very quickly he was scratching his own niche initially wasn't he what's that he was simply scratching his own itch something that he was interested in personally then it happened to be that he'd found other people loved it as well. Yo, yeah, absolutely. And I, it's a fun story about um, how we found the GoPro. Um, I was at a trade show, and sometimes we'll go to trade shows and walk around and you know look for products and businesses um, that we think might be good for the in the marketplace. And we were at the outdoor retailing trade show in Salt Lake City, and the founder of the company, Nick Woodman, you know, you, like you said, scratches on it. He was a surfer, and um, he. Uh, was selling these cameras he couldn't afford a trade show booth so he drove a Volkswagen bus onto the trade floor and set up a beach scene with sand and a beach chair and an umbrella and and uh, basically was selling the cameras out of the van 
And um, I went up to him and said, this would be, it looks like a cool product. And two weeks after the show, we flew up to Seattle and we sat down and, and had lunch. And I remember he ordered chili cheese fries and a beer. And um, we basically talked about how uh, he wanted to build this into a billion dollar company. And we kind of wrote out a rough plan and executed it. And over the next eight years, it, uh, it, it happened. It's, you know, that doesn't happen all the time, but that was a really fun story. His dad was an early investor or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, his dad was a, um, uh, what do you call it, a private equity guy. So he knew how to raise money and financing, and they didn't have to bring in any outside investors in the early days. Um, you know, this was Nick's uh, second company. He had started a internet gaming company in the late 90s and um, uh, didn't have a good outcome. Uh, you know, the company went bankrupt and he took a year off and was traveling the world. And that's where he got the idea to do to do the camera. He basically wanted to take pictures of himself surfing. Um, and so it, it's a couple good lessons there. It's like, you know, failure is usually a learning experience. You don't give up. You try something again. And he went from that failure to having a billion dollar company. Can you come back to the five points, but I just want to jump back to your story. Absolutely. Uh, so the, third, the third one is, um, you know, we talked about unique selling proposition, positioning. Um, the third one is delivering more value. And um, all that means is, is, is what can you do with your product so that it, so that, I guess it can boil down to a very simple statement, under promise and over deliver. And so that way, when you're advertising your product, uh, and that's the opposite of what a lot of people and companies do uh, that want to make short-term profits. But if you're taking the long-term view and you want to build a brand, if you um, under-promise and then over-deliver, then when someone gets your product, their natural response is going to be, they're going to be happy, they're going to reorder, they're going to tell their friends about it, and it's going to create a snowball effect. So you get a multiplier on any type of advertising you do. And I'll give you a perfect example. When we were selling Sonicare, uh, people would order a tub of the Oxy, not Sonicare, OxyClean. They would order a tub of the OxyClean and I, you know, it might be 12 ounces or something, we would automatically um, supersize it and go from 12 to 16 ounces. And then we'd put in samples of some of their other cleaning products uh, like the Kaboom Tub and Tile Cleaner and the Orange Glow Furniture Polish. And so when people got that package at home, um, they were pleasantly surprised. And that was one of the things that helped the, um, the company grow. But I guess from an advertising perspective, it, it boils down to, uh, under promise and, and over deliver. How would you say you've done it as an agency? Have you applied that when you guys were doing it? Oh, um, how do we apply it? Um, from a services business point of view. Yeah, no, I think, I think it really boils down to a philosophy and, um, you know, you've probably run into business and, um, you know, taking seminars or responded to offers on the internet or whatever, where, you were let down based on what was promised to you. So I think it's just, it really boils down to a philosophy that you can follow. Um, the, next, the next one on the list, number four, is um, always listen to your customers. And um, 
you'd be shocked, at, and maybe you wouldn't, but uh, but we see it. How few companies really make an effort to reach out and talk to their customers. And I think it's the best place that you can learn um, about what people like about your products, what they don't like. One of the first things we do when the, with any company we work with is we'll reach out to their uh, database and we'll set up a series of interviews where we videotape um, the um, uh, uh, 10 to 20 customers and what we'll do is we'll create testimonials out of it, but from just interviewing those 10 to 20 people, we can get a really great idea, again, of what people like, what they don't like, and it helps us craft the marketing message. Then the testimonials that we get, we can use in all of our marketing. We can use them online, we can use them on our website, you know, Facebook advertising, it, 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 it becomes great content for you. That's something you came, talked about a lot in your first book by now, the types of videos you can do and the way to structure them. Now, given that book was created quite some time back, is there any additional videos that you would add to your repertoire, that, like your must-shoot videos coming into the online world? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I, you know, this, this book is, is uh, you know, was released on Amazon in December of last year, uh, you know, just a little over a month ago. Um, and I'm halfway through my next book, which is called Video Persuasion. And um, the, the statistics are amazing. And you, you, again, being a marketer, you probably realize it, that how powerful video is as a sales tool. So what we, you, we graduated from and talked about in the first book and the second book, um, really anybody that isn't using video as part of their marketing is really missing out. The, the statistics are just amazing. Um, I don't have them sitting here right in front of me, but in doing research for my book, it, it's, it's, you know, some of the ones I can remember, it's like there's been more video produced in the last year that people are watching online than the TV stations have produced in the last 30 years. Um, 80% of all um, uh, mobile consumption in in the 2019 is supposed to be a video, and so we're really encouraging people to make video uh, part of their content marketing. I mean, it should be a big part, and you know, there's lots of reasons. Just video is just more much more effective um, way to communicate than any other medium. I think you said something like every. I'm just looking at your blog here at the moment. Every second, almost seventeen thousand hours of video will be produced. Yeah, yeah. Now there's some great. On my, you're, you're looking at my website, rickcesare.com, and there's some really great statistics on there. I like that, and I love the fact that video is producing so much. What I'm noticing, and I think you'll obviously be your testament to this, is it doesn't just take video; it takes great video that cuts through the noise of online to really grab someone's attention. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I think there's a skill set um, that I've developed, and I'm not the only one, other people, by having to make uh, television infomercials, if you didn't make your videos catch people's attention immediately in the first um, 10 to 15 seconds, and sometimes even sooner, um, people would use their remote control and click away. And that's very much similar to what's happening online. Everybody now that has a cell phone can produce a video, but that doesn't mean they, they're producing good videos or videos that um, 
can basically keep people's attention. And, um, you know, one of the things we're talking about, the five keys to building a great brand, I also have um, uh, another download that people can get on my website, rickcesari.com, where it explains to people um, a, a simple formula for making videos work better. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's what you had said, it's really important not just to produce video, but produce video in a way that captures people attention and keeps them engaged and and there's definitely some easy ways of 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 doing that i like to say i, I it's funny in this book i'm writing um i took a class a long time ago um before when i was just getting started in marketing uh you might have heard of uh, dale carnegie and he wrote a book called how to win friends and influence people somewhere behind me. So, yeah. so I read that book, but not only that, I took one of the courses and one of the things that they taught was, you know, they, they basically give you an opportunity to get up in front of people and speak, which is something that is probably the most, their statistic to say that's the thing that people are most scared of is getting up in front of a group and speaking. So they gave us training for that, but I remember a formula they gave me for making a speech. And it, and it was very simple. It was like, tell people what you're going to say, say, and tell people what you said. And if you think about that, I've actually used that formula. Obviously, I've gone into more, a lot more detail, but I've used that simple formula in producing a lot of these successful infomercials that have sold millions of dollars of product. And if you think about um, one of the reasons people tune out of a video is, how many times have you watched a TV ad? and you have no idea what it's about until the last couple seconds and then they tell you what the product is or whatever. And so um, with that simple formula, right away you're telling people what you're talking about. They this yeah. so they can make a decision if they wanna wanna watch the video or not. Um, the people that do choose to watch are your target audience because you're addressing something they want. And, and I'll give you a good example of that little formula. When we were making the GoPro television commercials, every one of them started with a GoPro brand logo. So you were telling them, the viewer knew immediately what it was about. Then there was user-generated footage, and then we ended with um, basically the GoPro logo and an offer a contest offer, and this is where the direct response component comes in, that says, go to our website, someone will win one of everything we make every single day. And um, and that was one of the reasons that they got such great response from their television commercials. That's pretty insane. That is really insane, putting that way. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a lot of great information. And then the last thing, we talked about the five keys to building a great brand, and again, I, um, I think the most powerful marketing tool, and I go into a lot of detail in my in my new book, uh, my first book, my second book, and even in my third book, because I'm such a believer in it, is authentic testimonials. We talked earlier about going out, and um, that's just a really simple shortcut way to um, get to help build your brand because it's the best type of social proof that there is. It's somebody that likes your product, is using it, and that people can relate to, and they're just a really powerful marketing tool. 
So those five things, I go into a lot more detail. They can download that information, again, at my website, rickcesare.com. Is that just on the homepage, or where do they go for that? Um, that's a, it's not, I think you have to click, um, uh, let me try to go to the website real quick. It's not on the front page, I don't, or maybe it is on the front page. I think they just, um, let me check real quick. I think there's a place where they can leave their um, name and email address. Yeah. And, that, and then they'll get uh, that information. Okay, yeah, you just, yeah, there's a button there that says let's create more sales, it takes you to the download. Yeah, and that, that's the one, that'll be the one on um, how you can um, the four steps uh, create videos that work better. But let me find the other, the other place where they go. I know it should be easier to find here. But the let's create more sales. If you hit that one, that will download the uh, the um, paper about how yeah. to make any video work better. So your background is quite interesting. How do you go from biology to selling real estate? Some events. That's a good good question. Um, you know, going back to that, and, and actually the biology helped me in my marketing, believe it or not. Um, uh, I, I was start, I got a biology degree because a friend that I, I was good friends in high school, and he and I said, oh, let's go to uh, dental school. And so in order to go to dental school, you had to take a, get a biology degree. But after four years of uh, college, I was tired and I didn't feel like going on to dental school, uh, even though I was accepted at University of Pittsburgh. So he went on, my friend went on, and he's a dentist to this day. We're still friends. We go skiing all the time. Uh, he lives in, in uh, Florida. Uh, I live in Seattle. And, um, uh, and then I got into the real estate really just, again, from reading books on how people were making money and, you know, that more millionaires were created through real estate. I started studying it. I started going out investing in it. And then that's when I, you know, met the guy that was putting on seminars and started helping him do the marketing. So it really wasn't a, a grand plan on, on, uh, uh, on getting into marketing and doing that. It kind of happened accidentally, but I'm glad it did. It was just one of those things I've just always had a, a knack for is, um, is, is the marketing. And, and, and then I've, I've really loved this career because it's, um, my wife will tell you, I, she thinks I have ADD or something because I, I can't stay focused on something for a long time. So by working with all these uh, new products, new projects, I'm able to kind of go from one thing to another. And that's, uh, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, holds my attention. But once a company's up and running and successful, I, I kind of lose interest because it com becomes more, a little bit more operational. A little bit more corporate, a little less Entrepreneurial, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and for me, it's less fun too because then there's all systems and organizations and employees you have to manage. And I realize that's part of any business. That's just the part I don't like. Yeah. How did Steve come into the picture? What was he doing at the time? So that's your brother that you did Trillium with? Yeah. So, so fun again, a fun story. Um, the Trillium health products was the, was the juice man juicer and the bread man bread machine. And, um, I, 
made a deal with a guy named Jay Cordich who passed away just recently last year. He was 93 years old and he was quote unquote the juice man and he was the spokesperson for the product. And um, I had met him, uh, he was doing a little pitch at a health food store. I was in there buying some supplements and I thought that, hey, I could, you know, if I could get this guy in front of more people, um, he's really dynamic. He's a good pitch guy. And um, uh, we've signed a deal to do it and uh, sales started to take off and I needed financing. So I called my brother and I said, hey, this business is going crazy. Um, I need, why don't you send me $100,000? And so that's how we became partners in the business and started making things work. Um, and then the business, again, just started growing really, really quickly. He was living in Atlanta at the time. He moved out to Seattle and we were able to build the business together. He's a business coach consultant now, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he helps other. He he works more on an individual basis, and I work more with um, with companies, younger companies. He'll like he'll work more with the executives and help coach them personally. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Hey, little dog. Yeah, I have three of them. Nice. Uh, I think my wife just came home, so they all started started barking. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so he'll work with people, and I'll and I'll work more with the businesses and help the business uh, grow. So, and you typically work with companies that just like just past that million dollar mark where they've got traction, but they haven't really got scale. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I've I've always um, had more success with companies. Uh, that have, have a small amount of sales, and even if it's like a hundred thousand dollars or a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, because what happens at that point is that the marketplace is already validated that this is a product that works. For me, the hardest products to market are brand new inventions. They haven't been tested in the marketplace and you're really working from scratch. And I've still had some successes in that category. It's just much easier to um, really take a product and a company and help it scale after it's had some, a little bit of success in the marketplace. Um, and and that, that's always worked best for me. I think reading some of your stuff, you did use a lot of data from the customer sales in the past, but in a very old school manner that you actually got the data sifted through it and were able to use that in your offline marketing. How have you found going more digital recently has changed that and is there things that you've learned that you think that online people should be doing more that uh, you find them not doing? Um, let me see if I, if I understand totally the question. I, you know, the, the, what I, really see and 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 this really is more happening now um i mentioned i'm working with a lot of large amazon seller when I say large they they might be doing anywhere from three million and i have one that does as much as 30 million just selling on amazon and amazon becomes a barrier between them and their customer and you know, almost every business that I've had success with growing, it's all about customer acquisition, building the database, remarketing to the customer, um, and Amazon pre prevents that. So for us, and a lot of the um, consulting we're doing now, 
it's really about just what I said. It's 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 um, acquiring customers, building your database, um, reaching out and and understanding the customers what they want, and that's the thing that I probably see. There's some you know a lot of e-commerce businesses that are doing that well, but if you had to pinpoint the biggest um, weakness I see in many businesses, it's it's really the lack of doing that is 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 building their customer database and and being in regular contact with with them. And I think that's the best thing that any business can do because you can build a loyal following and repeat customers, and it's easier to market to them. Back to basics. Simple yeah, exactly. yeah and, and you know it's interesting with all of the marketing changes and technology and platforms and social media there's a place to if you really understand the fundamentals of direct response marketing or direct marketing and things that worked even way back in uh, direct mail and building a database and and things like that and the more you understand those types of things I think it'll be a bigger advantage for you um, for your online marketing as well here's an interesting question from your biology degree was there any kind of bits of information that you learned about how humans respond to stimulus that helped you with marketing yeah that's a good one because I have a, a basic way that I like to market and I and I or sell and I basically instead of kind of doing like a hard sell I basically believe in educating the consumer and uh, through the content that we're providing and leading the consumer to make a decision after the education that says um, hey this makes a lot of sense I want to buy that and I think it's a uh, a process of really um, and I you know I can it, it happened over and over with the juicer we were educating people about the benefits of drinking fresh juice uh, the scientific benefits with Sonicare toothbrush it was the uh, benefits of uh, basically we had to educate people about gum disease and the causes of gum disease um, and so I think that the biology degree was very helpful in really looking at things from a scientific perspective and um, really focusing on how to educate the consumer uh, as a way of, of getting them to make a buying decision. That's cool. So you mentioned before that you drive a lot of people to websites when you're doing GoPro. How does that work with, say, some of the supplement brands that you done for recently like how do you how do you build a database without that on customers for example because a supplement brand um, I'm on the board of advisors of a company called natural stacks and um, they're a fast-growing e-commerce company based in Seattle and really they make um, uh, supplements for your brain so serotonin, they have a patented product called CellTap, which is for focus and memory. Neutropic kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And um, they're basically, they're, they're on Amazon, but their main business is they, they, they grow their business through email marketing. So they started, and it's a really great way for a direct-to-consumer company to start marketing. They basically got um, a couple large influencers um, they were in, went on the podcast for Tim Ferriss, 
uh, Dave Asprey from Bulletproof yep. Coffee, and basically did a joint venture or affiliate marketing with them and were able to just really uh, initially start building their database from, from basically having a good product, the person doing the podcast was interested in it, and they started building their database that and sales and database that way. Then they were very good at doing email marketing and sending um, out emails. When you every say day. they build database that way, what do you mean? They have some sort of download that they went to, or they're giving yeah, the samples? Um, basically, they um, offered uh, their pro. In this case, their flagship product was called CellTap, and um, they would go on to the podcast, and then you know these are bigger, bigger ones. And they would offer people um, a sample. They had sample sizes of the of the product, and people could basically could go and download uh, the samples. And they were able to start, um, or some people just outright purchase the product. And so they were able to start their database based on the purchasing or downloading of the sample products. That makes a lot of sense. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and what we're seeing now, it's funny. I, I'm. Uh, Working with a um, company that's launching a brand new beauty product, and we're it's called Jinjo, and it's literally just a startup. Here's one that's like you have to starting from scratch, and um, they're working with a um, social media buying company out of Germany called AdBaker, and they basically are really really awesome at. Um, buying Facebook ads and Insta Instagram ads and then leading people to a sales funnel and they they help grow a, a company called Beverly Hills MD uh, from startup to a hundred million in sale. Are you familiar with them? I'm familiar with them. Uh, yeah, a uh, hundred million in sales in, in only a few years and so we're, we're basically helping create the brand for that product and a lot of the content but we're using that company that that are you know experts at doing the um, the the Facebook advertising it's amazing yeah and you also climb mountains for fun <laughs> yeah not anymore so anymore. That, that, yeah I uh, you know that ha that that got started it was interesting um, I uh, did that when I was um, Younger, I grew up in the New York area and used to go climbing in the Catskill and Adirondack Mountains. And the highest mountain in uh, in the Adirondacks is 5,000 feet. Uh, but when I moved out to Seattle, um, when you wake up and it's not raining out and it's clear, you look out your window and you see Mount Rainier, and it's just an awesome view. And I always said, "Well, I'm going to climb that." So one day I, 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 I ended up climbing it and the guide who I w went through a company called uh, Rainier Mountaineering and the guide that led us to the top uh, was a guy named Tim O'Brien and I loved his personality and this happens if I'll go into a store and I, I, I like the person that's helping me, uh, you know, if there's a place I offer him a job. So I said, Tim, you know, I really like uh, your personality if you ever want a job. So he ended up coming on at the agency as a new business development guy um, and um, because he was a mountain climbing guide he had summited Mount Rainier like 95 times or something I started getting hooked into mountain climbing and when you live out in the Seattle in the Northwest you know there's Mount Rainier there's um, uh, Mount Adams uh, Mount Baker lo lots of you know 
hikes and mountains to climb here. But then after you do that, like, what's the next step? And and so I read a book called The Seven Summits, and oh. um, <laughs> named uh, Dick. Dick Bass was the first person from the, I don't know if there's a famous investor called Bass Brothers from Fort Worth, and he was the first guy to climb the seven highest mountains on each continent. So I started that, that I started to do that, and I went over to, um, uh, I had climbed um, Denali, which was 20,000 feet, and that took about two and a half weeks, and, and then I went over to Russia and uh, climbed um, Mount Elbrus, which is the, the highest, it's, I think it's 18,000 feet, and that's the highest uh, mountain in Europe. And um, one of the seven summits is in Australia. Uh, it's not very tall, but it's, it's basically that you're supposed to climb the tallest mountain on each continent. So anyway, I got waylaid because um, I went in for a checkup and it turned out that the doctor found an aneurysm on, on my aorta and that kind of put the kibosh on my climbing, and um, I'm just fortunate that uh, you know they found that when they did. But um, I, you know, that was something that I just really enjoyed because it was a way where you could really get away from the intense working into something else that required your total focus, and it and it was a good way to just clear your mind and uh, kind of reset things before getting back into diving back into business and things. That's cool. I've found a lot of people that. High-performance business seem to have something outside of it that just keeps their mind actively fit, or just something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I find I want to. Um, I had a mentor um, when I was early in starting the juice business, and he was a successful businessman. And he gave, told me something I've always remembered. He goes, "You can get more work done working 11 months out of the year than 12," which means you know, take a little bit of downtime and recharge yourself and you'll you'll be you know much better when you come back to the job so i've always tried to to do that who do you find your greatest sources of inspiration on and mentorship now you know it's 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 interesting i was i i love to read and i i read a lot of books and i know there's you know you can listen to books on audible and everything but i've always been a really big reader and i just i i just um i love reading success stories so um you know i you know i've read all the books by richard branson and um i just read uh shoe dog by phil knight uh who started oh, yes um and then earlier in in my life, I, I read a lot of um, uh, motivational books. And but one of the books really stuck. Uh, you know, there's Think and Grow Rich and lot, lots of other books. But one book that I read that I always um, uh, basically uh, recommend to people um, is called The Magic of Thinking Big. Dr. David Schwartz. And, um, it's, it's, it's by Richard Schwartz, and I think it partially responsible for some of the big successes that I've had. Um, just it's a mindset that, that gets out to you. So I'm a, I'm a big believer. Like, I've listened to lots of tapes by Dennis Waitley, and, um, you, you know, I'm a big believer in reading motivational books. Not that I need to get self-motivated. It's just that you learn a lot of things from, from those books. And then also reading success stories of other entrepreneurs that have built businesses. I just, I really enjoy uh, reading those. This is one of the dogs that was barking. <laughs> Cute little guy. That was actually one of the first books I read, Dr. Schwartz's book. What's that? 
That was actually one of the first books that I read, that one and Think Grow Rich. Yeah, sound, it sounds like, um, because I mentioned Dale Carnegie and you had that book and, and uh, The Magic of Thinking Big and Think and Grow Rich. And, uh, you know, it's funny, when I was doing the real estate uh, seminars, I had a chance to go out and um, interview uh, some of these people that had written the motivational books. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read any books. Uh, this is a kind of an old time guy named W. Clement Stone. His and, book's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he started Success Magazine. And so I actually called him up and um, uh, to interview him. And this was, you know, this was before there was an internet podcast, anything like that. And I had to fly to Chicago because he ran a big, he ran a company called Combined Insurance yeah, Company. And um, he, I forget some of the books he wrote, but they're, I don't know if it was like The Richest Man in Babylon or just or, or The Success for, I mean, lots of them. If you just Google his name, you'll see some of his books, but he's famous for, for founding Success Magazine. So I was in his office and to this day, um, I went in to, to interview him. And um, I'll never forget this. It was the biggest office I've ever been in my life. I swear it must have been at least 30 or 40 yards long and, you know, paintings on the wall. And he was a short guy, like like five, five, four, five, five. The success so system that never fails that was him. Yeah, success system that never fails. That's a, a, a great one. And, you know, it's funny. These books are still relevant. You read them and the, you, you take stuff away from them. Anyway, um, I'm sitting in the office and I'm just ready to start the interview and his uh, receptionist or secretary buzzes him and um, uh, he, the secretary goes, uh, Mr. Stone, um, the president is on the line. And I never remember what he says. He goes, tell him I'll call him back. And that was like the funniest thing I ever heard. The president of the United States was calling him and he said that he'll call him back because he was a, it was a Republican. I think it was Richard Nixon that was calling him or something. And he was a huge Republican donor. But um, that was pretty awesome to me to, to hear that. And then I ended up interviewing him for about an hour. And, you know, whenever you do this and like you do podcasts and, you know, you, you get the chance to speak to many different personalities. You learn everything, something every time you interview people and, um, I, I just love it. I, I just had, I hadn't done it through podcasts before, but really interviewing people that I would be making part of a video or video about, and um, just the stuff you learned is amazing. Uh, the woman who wrote the book, The Secret, um, she Rosa, was Australian. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, she belonged, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, so anyway, every author... You and Ron worked with some of those guys, haven't you? Yeah, every author, I mean, every person that was in The Secret um, and more, they all get together once a year for a, a conference. And I think that's how she came up with the idea for The Secret. So Jack Canfield, who is one of the co-authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul, he um, invited me to the conference and I brought a video crew and I was able to, over two days, video every single person that was in the book The Secret and I learned so much uh, from talking to these people. It was it was just amazing. It was one of the best uh, weekends I ever had. I think some has got. I know Brian isn't too well at the moment, uh, from what I understand. So that would have been incredible experience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and it's funny because from a book marketing perspective. Um, they were doing something that was really interesting. They were all, there was probably 
40 people there. They were all uh, personal development authors. Um, and when they would launch a book, they would all cross market to their list and almost every one of them always became a bestseller and then it created a snowball effect and I, I always remember that as a, a marketing lesson that these guys all team and gals all teamed up together to market to each other's list uh, when they would launch a new book and, and it was a way of making sure that almost every book that was released by one of them became a bestseller. They also did some interesting stuff with what they did with leveraging Oprah's audiences. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that was uh, you know there was never been a uh, a show like Oprah's. We we've had two different products on there, and both of them uh, you know generated millions of dollars in sales. The first one that was on the Oprah show was the Sonicare toothbrush, and um, Oprah said this on the air. She's holding the toothbrush, and she goes, "This brush will make your gums hum." And uh, literally, the website crashed. <laughs> I mean, it, the sale, but sales like sales took off. It was amazing. I don't. They, we couldn't even um, really uh, count all the amount of sales that were produced from that. And then the same um, management team that had that had invented Sonicare also invented the Claire Sonic skincare brush. And because they had that uh, previous. Um, uh, success with Oprah, they were able to reach out to the same producer and they got the Clarisonic skincare brush on there and that's really what launched that product and, and helped make it successful as well. And both of those, that the, the Sonicare had a successful exit to Philips um, Electric for half a billion dollars and Clarisonic was bought by L'Oreal for half a billion dollars. And these are going from startup to sale in uh, you know, Sonicare took a little longer. That was about 12 years. The uh, Clarisonic was, was seven or eight years. If you were to look at Oprah as a brand, and what would you say has made her such a such a success that she's able to have that much influence when she just holds up something, it becomes yeah, a bestseller? It's, it's, um, it's a good lesson for people to emulate if they're making videos or looking for a spokesperson or something and it's really authenticity and trust um, that she was such an authentic person and that she just had such a loyal following just because of her personality and I think that that if someone's trying to be their own spokesperson it's uh, a lot of traits that you should emulate um, you know there's no obviously the guarantee that you're going to get as big as Oprah, but I think that those were the two things to me that that stuck out most about um, her. That uh, people was the reason that people were attracted to her and and followed her. It's amazing. I think I could probably talk to you all day, and I probably would if you had time for it. But let's get people onto this book because I think the most value they're going to get from you now is reading your books and actually starting to dig deeper into how they can actually grow their own brand. So can you tell us again where they can get that book and the name and where they can learn more about yourself? I uh, appreciate the opportunity, but the newest book is called Building Billion Dollar Brands and you can just look it up on Amazon. You can either look it up by the book name or my author name, Rick Cesari. My other book is on there by now as well. But I really, um, I'm really getting really great feedback on the Building Billion Dollar Brands. There's just great information in there. 
Uh, it goes into more detail on a, a lot of the products we talked about today and, and the five keys to building a great brand, a lot more detail. And so anyone that's an entrepreneur, uh, launching a product, starting a business, has a business they want to grow, I think that book will be really helpful to them. There you have it, guys. Go check out Building Billion Dollar Brands by Rick Cesari, and we'll see you all on the next episode.